This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 447th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is a singer, songwriter, and actress who has been working professionally since the age of seven, first shooting to prominence as the star of the Disney Channel sitcom Wizards of Waverly Place, which ran from 2007 through 2012, and the frontwoman of the band Selena Gomez and the Scene, which was active from 2008 through 2012. By her teens, she had become one of the world's biggest celebrities. The first person to accumulate 100 million followers on Instagram, where she now has 270 million, thanks to a solo recording career which was skyrocketing, and an on-again, off-again relationship with another equally famous young music artist. Now in her 20s, she has increasingly done work in both of her professions, which has earned her the sort of praise and respect she always craved. She has to her name three solo albums, all of which reached number one on the Billboard 200, and eight singles which broke into the top ten of the Billboard Hot 100, including one which hit number one, 2020's Lose You to Love Me. She has worked with top-tier filmmakers, ranging from Harmony Korine to Jim Jarmusch to Woody Allen, and she now finds herself in serious contention for a Best Actress in a Comedy Series Emmy nomination for her work on the first season of a Hulu comedy series on which she stars opposite Steve Martin and Martin Short, Only Murders in the Building. One of Time's 100 Most Influential People in the World in 2020, and someone described by Rolling Stone in 2021 as, quote, one of the most influential pop culture icons of our time, close quote, Selena Gomez. Over the course of our conversation, the 29-year-old and I discussed how a girl from Texas wound up in show business in the first place, and what her experience of child stardom was like, how she sought to rebrand herself after her years on the Disney Channel, and the ways in which those efforts did and did not take, why, as she began to experience turmoil in her personal life involving physical and mental health problems and romantic turbulence, she decided to get more personal with her music, and how doing so helped her, what it has been like sharing the screen with two legends of comedy on a TV show centered on one of her great fascinations, true crime, plus much more. And so without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Selena, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Great to have you. And uh, on this podcast, we always begin truly at the beginning. If you could share with our listeners, where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living? Sure. Um, I'm Selena, <laughs> and I was born in Grand Prairie, Texas. 
Um, my mom worked several jobs. Um, she had me when she was 16. So technically she was finishing high school and also, uh, working. My dad was a DJ. Really? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It was a promising career for him, <laughs> but he, he definitely enjoyed music. And I def I feel like that's where some of my music, you know, my music comes from yeah um and he i i gather they they were both were they both 16 that's a uh young love right <laughs> yeah but you know you don't know you don't know someone right, so right. i think they are so much better without each other <laughs> <laughs> well so i i guess um you were you were quite young when when they went their separate ways i know you're you grew up I think largely with your mom and, but just so people understand, cause this is kind of, uh, influenced your music. I think, is it correct? Your, your dad's Hispanic and your mom is not, but sort of the influence of both is present in your music. Definitely. Um, my mom was a, an old soul. So she listened to a lot of like the rap pack and listened to just great, like from the Beatles stones to, John, Janis Joplin like I just grew up listening to that kind of music which I think has inspired me in a way of the lyrics I just love how honest and real music is and then I think my dad's side especially with Spanish music I really felt like it was a way of connecting with my roots that way mm -hmm. and I'm actually currently in Spanish lessons right now for fun wow. and I really excited about kind of doing that because it's been a while and it's like all right it's about damn time i learned spanish <laughs> well uh i mean we'll we'll definitely note in a little bit that you you made a big um impression with some spanish-speaking music not that long ago but i guess let's note that your sort of being between two cultures is not uh it's sort of a uh consistent with your who you're named after right yeah exactly it's kind of um there is this feeling I was named after Selena Quintanilla, who is the Tejano singer, and it is pretty interesting, the similarities, meaning she spoke broken, you know, Spanish. She was born in Texas and um, but she, you know, had a whole music career in Spanish and she learned it along the way, which I think I'm doing as well. So. Um, yeah, it's pretty surreal. I think the surrealist moment, if that's a word, but <laughs> sure. would have to be like meeting her family. Oh, wow. That was really an interesting, special moment. I was performing at the Houston Rodeo, which I believe was one of her last shows. And, um, I invited her family and it was just the coolest feeling. And we did a little tribute to her. So it was awesome. That's awesome. Well, I guess to go back before uh, you were doing public performances like that, I, can we, we always try to like pinpoint the, the moment where somebody caught the bug or uh, the bug became apparent in the creative, you know, creative bug for our guests. And I guess it seems like from what I've been able to gather prepping for this, that maybe to some degree that was also from, from your mom just growing up watching her. Yeah, so my mom was a theater actress, and um, she never did television or anything like that. I think she really loved the theater, and I loved watching her. I would go to her rehearsals, and I would watch her plays, and of course I admired my mom and adore her and look up to her. 
But I remember being this little demanding girl <laughs> being like, I want to be on TV. I want to be like Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> I remember wanting to be on TV and I don't know why, but that was just something I wanted to do. So I think she is a huge inspiration. But mind you, my mom also is the kind of person that's like, if you're done with this business, like be done, um, it's not worth your like well-being. So she's she's like a really good she's got a good outlook on it. Well, I found a, a quote uh, of hers from a while back where she was saying about you, you know, when did she first notice that you had had sort of this creative chip uh, quote? She was six or seven. I thought I wanted to be an actor. She went to one of my rehearsals with me and sat through the whole thing, not moving. On the way home, she was quiet. And then she goes, you know, Mom, that might be funnier if you did it this way. And I thought, yeah. oh, no, she's going to be an actor, close quote. So I don't know if that's something you remember, but that's... Uh... <laughs> yeah, yes, I do. I remember. I do remember that. I, I thought I was so cool. I thought I was so included and I thought I contributed, but I was such a little... I was such a little shit just running around, <laughs> just being like, I can perform for everyone. <laughs> well, so you expressed to her this desire to be on TV. But I mean, how does a little kid who's growing up in Texas actually have that happen? What was I guess it was sort of just geographical freak thing with with Barney, right? Yeah, it really was. My family and I um, definitely didn't have the means to go to California to pursue anything or New York, which are the you know hubs, I guess. And we couldn't really do that. And Barney, my mom found online when I told her I wanted to do it, I wouldn't let this dream go. I wanted to keep doing it. Um, and so she looked up online and she saw an open call and it was an audition. I didn't have an agent or anything. And it just said, um, auditions for Barney. And I, you know, I was seven. Barney probably wasn't as cool, but I just remember being so excited for my first audition. And then I sat in line with 1400 kids oh. and it was really hot outside. And my mom kept asking me, do you want to go home? Do you want to go home? And I just, something in me was like, no, I don't. I want to stay till the end. I want to stay. And sure enough, I, I, out of all those kids, they picked seven and I happened to be one of them. And was that the same casting call where I, I believe at some point you were auditioning at the same time with and were basically cast at the same time as Demi Lovato? Correct. So the funny, the the wildest part of that story is that she actually was the girl standing in front of me. <laughs> I remember she had a red bow on. I'll never forget it. And I remember thinking, wow, she's so pretty. She probably comes from like a really nice house. Like, you know, I didn't have a lot growing up, but just because she had a really pretty bow and like a nice outfit, I thought, I just thought the world of her. And, um, and we both ended up after we got the part, we didn't know if the other one did. And we just had this like mini reunion when we saw each other, when we got the part and, it was really fun. So that's what's wild is that she was actually in front of Unbelievable. Me. Well, and and so this is like, I guess, between 2002 and 2004, you are on 13 episodes of that. Uh, I mean, it's easy to for somebody to be like, oh, it's Barney. How much could you have learned? But I mean, I think probably that was your introduction to just basics of acting right in front of the camera and how to like it was probably pretty valuable. Oh, 1000%. And you know, when people even say the whole Disney chapter of my life, you know, oh, do you regret it? Or no, it was hard to kind of move away from it. But it wasn't, 
it tr- it really did train me. I mean, at seven years old, I was learning. I was in the studio singing songs. I was in rehearsals for dancing. I had to learn how to open up towards cameras and make sure I knew where to step and stay. And I think that really, it's kind of like a, a pony, like a, like a pony race. It's just really interesting. But I had a blast. I mean, we had so much fun and it was my little escape. It was my escape from, you know, reality. Yeah. So can you connect the dots? Like I said, I think I have I see Barney's 2002 to 2004, Wizards of Waverly Place for for Disney Channel's 2007 to 2012. In between there, I know there were a number of other things going on, I guess, with that that kind of put you on the radar of Disney Channel. And there I've seen like pilots of things that didn't happen or appearances on other shows that were not centered on you. But do you know yourself sort of what the what the most important steps were to make them say hey let's give this this young lady a show of her own i will give full credit to gary marsh and judy taylor um they were he was the president at the time and she was the lead casting and she was unbelievably supportive and for some reason those two people out of like a whole room full of suits really believed in me and um, so they, they didn't know what to do with me. So that's when they decided to put me on a few guest shows and I was able to do Hannah Montana and I did Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Um, but then I did a pilot that was for the show, uh, based on Lizzie McGuire. Then I did another pilot based on Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Then I did another pilot and that was called Wizards of Waverly Place. So that's how I ended up there. But it was a few years of them actually being so supportive and wanting me to have a home there. Um, but, you know, I tried to do other things. I did commercials and stuff. Too. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to, just to give people the kind of chronology of when you actually pick your life up from Texas and move to L.A., I guess... You shoot the the Wizards of Waverly pilot at like thirteen, is that right? Yeah. And then they go with it, and and probably when you're about fourteen. And so, Correct. what's that decision like, and in, in your family about? All right, we've got this opportunity now, but how is it going to affect our our lives, where we are, what we do? Like, how how did that go? Yeah. Well, it was a little. It was it was actually hard because my parents aren't together, mm-hmm. so. They, my dad stayed in Texas and technically I was underage. So it was both sides. Honestly, I couldn't have been luckier because my dad was devastated and was really, he had a job and he wasn't going to be able to do a lot. But, uh, but I remember him just saying, this is something you want to do. And I want you to do that. And my mom has always wanted me to believe bigger than where we're from because you know, it's, it's not, it's small where I'm from and you don't see anything. And so I really give them credit for choosing me over their own happiness. And then, and essentially I think that brought them happiness once I was working and doing what I love. So now was this one of these things where I've, you know, spoken with a lot of people who, when they first moved to LA, it's not we don't know how long this is going to last. So we're going to keep kind of one foot in one foot out, like Oakwood apartments situation. Uh, (laughs) It was like that for you guys. Oh, no, Oakwoods. No. (laughs) So me and my mom were completely 
we were a little bit uh, oblivious. <laughs> and in Texas, when you say downtown Dallas, it's like, oh, that's a nice area. So when we were thinking of moving to L.A., we're like downtown L.A. <laughs> that would be perfect because that's probably the safest. <laughs> it's cleaned up a little bit now and it's kind of cool. But about 10 over 10 years ago, we pulled up to move into the apartment complex and there was ambulances there. And it was we didn't know what happened. Oh. Obviously, we hope. Okay, but I just remember being like, Mom, where are we living? <laughs> I mean, not far off from where we're from. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't um, uncomfortable, but we actually did it the opposite way. We we stayed there for a year hoping that the show would get picked up and eventually we moved to a better area. Oh, my goodness. Well, so your time on that show, just if anybody um, needs a reminder or is unfamiliar, you're playing this uh, teenage girl with magical powers. This is like four seasons Overlappingly, I guess, is when you're starting to really get into music more uh, with your with your band initially. Selena Gomez in the scene. And I I mean, if people need a, a reference point, I guess the one that I mean, I'm a little I was a little outside of the demographic, but even I was aware <laughs> of, uh, you know, the songs like like uh, Love You Like a Love Song and some of the stuff you guys right. were doing. As your profile's exploding with with both the acting and the the singing, um, was do you remember that time when you look back as being fun, stressful, something else? Like, how do you remember when it was all getting going? I remember the first time I went to set and I got photographed on set um, through these gates, and I remember feeling like kind of a little grossed out. And that's when I think it started changing. And I don't know if it was necessarily a fun switch for me. I think once that started happening, I felt a little bit um, constricted. And I think that's when I lost a little bit of my being a kid, Mm -hmm. you know, on being a kid because, you know, later in life, I realized I missed out on a lot and, I definitely, you know, processed things differently than I do now. And so it's it is a little weird and there's growing pains in in the midst of it. But I genuinely felt like overall it it really it's really been a gift to see all these things come together. But there's not one day that goes by where I'm like, I'm set, like it's fine. I'm grateful for where I am, but I, I think, and I believe that I've barely touched the surface of what I'm able to do. That's how much I believe in myself. And I hope one day, you know, I'll be having a conversation with you again years from now or something, and we'll be talking about something exciting, but you know, I just want to be able to be useful while, while I'm here, you know? Totally. And I mean, I, I know that I began to kind of, uh, see the the I think the wider potential of what what you could do what you wanted to do when 
it seems like there was sort of a decision. I don't know if it was a plan or, or maybe it wasn't a decision, but just that around 2012, I think, is when Wizards ends, your band kind of ends, and then your solo career starts off really with Come and Get It, this single that goes to number six on the Billboard Hot 100. This is your part of your debut album, which debuts at number one. But then there's also in that exact same period, I think, is when you're when you were uh, signing up to do Spring Breakers, which was not like anything else. You wouldn't have gone over great at the Disney Channel. So uh, I guess it can you just explain was in that moment where one chapter is clearly coming to an end. Was that point for you uh, kind of exciting because now you can kind of maybe get into things that you couldn't have before or is it daunting because I guess it's sort of like when I've interviewed old time you know golden age Hollywood actors that were part of the studio system where you worked for a specific studio similar to the way you were working with Disney Channel I mean a lot of people assume oh it's great to be totally free but on the other hand they didn't have to think about certain other things that they did when they were out from under there yeah no I mean I remember someone asked me when I was doing Spring Breakers and in an interview, they were like, you know, you're a role model. What do you think people are going to say when they see this? And um, I said to them, I said, this is, I think I said something along the lines, it was so long ago, but I said something along the lines of this project is meant for me and my audience from what you're telling me isn't actually legally allowed to i tried to get away with like <laughs> saying they're not even legally supposed to i was like what they do on their own time is not up to me i said i'm just playing a character but it was really funny i don't i didn't think about it too much what i what i loved was it was actually my mom's idea and she always gets mad at me she's like don't tell people that <laughs> but it was it was interesting because she showed me a few of his films which obviously were very wild and weird and cool and um and I loved them I was like this would be so different than anything that I've done and I and I need something visceral like I want to work with a David Fincher or a David O. Russell like who will push me to the edge to like go and fight for something like that's the kind of acting that I crave to do more than anything um and I think that's me taking steps by not taking necessarily the lead part in a movie. Maybe it's just a smaller part that has to do with a greater um, support system that I'm working with people I can learn from. Um, I completely forgot your question. No, no, it's a good answer. I mean, we're just talking about how there is sort of this marker. It feels like in a lot of ways with both music and acting of 2012, one chapter ends, another begins. But I mean, as you, to, to what you're talking about with even if it's in a small way being a part of um, bigger kind of uh, projects that are different. I mean, I know this was this was more a cameo even than a part, but something like The Big Short, I'm sure you're there because 
it's cool people to be working with, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's what I dream to be around. You know, they my best friend always says, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Mm -hmm. And so I always constantly just want to be, you know, challenged. And um, it, this is what I love to do. Um, with with what I do with my platform is very different than my passion for acting and singing. Well, and it's interesting that I don't even know how many people are aware of the fact that from a very early age, right around the time we're talking about, you're also getting into producing stuff that you're not even necessarily going to be a part of and stuff that not like a vanity project or just some people that want a production company to say they have a production company. But like people may not know that 13 Reasons Why is because you and your mom decided to pursue that. Definitely. I mean, when I decided to start producing projects, it actually started with 13 Reasons Why, because when we found the book was years prior to it even being uh, shot, I was originally going to play the lead. Mm -hmm. And so we were excited. We had everything going and set, but then the years kept going by and I got older and it just... I also felt like I loved the book so much and I loved Jay, the author, and I just wanted it to be good. So I actually did want to be like, you know what? I just want to be there to support it, but I really want this to be good because it's important. Um, and it just didn't make sense for me. So it was, it was perfect. And I think that's when it started the bug where I was like, wait, I can put my name on things that I can help create that I could help, you know, input some sort of my whatever my vision into something and it be respected was really empowering for me as a woman I just thought that was really cool to be in involved with the whole process it was really fun so ever since then I've tried to do projects that are different that are you know from living and documented to um you know, doing something like a 13 or doing other things that have to do with maybe um, uh, a passion for crime or something, right. you know, we were, we're working on something like that. So it's just things that I care about. Well, and it's interesting also because I don't know, I'm looking at the chronology, 13 reasons why I think hit Netflix in 2017. You have been very open, but about sort of you know, just different depression and mental illness and things that a lot of people go through, but for whatever reason have been stigmatized for a long time. But I don't even know, was that even a factor in you being interested in 13 Reasons Why, or was that not yet even clear that that was a... No, yeah. a thousand percent. It was, it was a part of what I really cared about. Um, my mom has been very open to, she has dealt with a lot of, um, you know, mental health struggles, and so have I. Um, so it's just kind of something that's been talked about in my family, and I really appreciate that because I get how I've seen how difficult it is for people to accept the, the words or the diagnoses of whatever it is they may be walking through. So I understand, but once I found out a little bit more about myself and figured out what would help me and what would allow me to be okay with my feelings, even though they're still there. So yes, immediately from the bat, I, I wanted it to be important. And the message, you know, was a little controversial. A lot of people had a lot to say about it. And 
Um, I had parents coming up to me thanking me, and I also had parents coming up to me, you know, saying that they they didn't like it. And it was I welcomed both um, perspectives because I understood. But at the same time, I was very proud of the fact that we were starting a conversation because that's something that unfortunately is very real and happens. Yeah. Now, is it easier or harder? Maybe that's not even the way to look at it. Like, is it cathartic or not when you are personally connected to whatever form of art you're putting out? Because, I mean, it seems like I could be wrong, but when you were making music, the first few albums as part of a band, I don't think those songs were especially personal to you. It's not, it's not my sense. But then it seems like there's a moment, and again, I, I I could be wrong about the timing, but I mean, what what it seems to come back to is around 2014. You have this part of the compilation album. People will remember that you were doing the song "The Heart Wants What It Wants," which you did a very emotional performance that in 2014 at the AMAs. A lot of people felt like, oh, this is the first time she's actually talking about stuff that's matters to her, that's about her, followed very soon after by, I think, your first album uh, that wasn't for Disney full album revival, which was, again, dealing with maybe more, perhaps more personal stuff than than you'd done before. H- how did you get to the point where you were willing to do that? Well, Disney is a machine. I mean, I will say they are really well-oiled machine. <laughs> and they, you know, they had the singing aspect, the pop star aspect. They liked that. And I understood that and I enjoyed it. However, I can't I can't write music other than, oh, I may have a crush on someone. I hadn't lived life. Like, there wasn't much that I could really say, at least for me, I was, you know, I was happy to sing like, you know, who says, who says you're not perfect, like all those fun things, because I felt like that was a way to communicate with my crowd at that time. And then once music kind of just became what it became for me, and then I signed with John Janik at Interscope, my whole life changed because it was the first time that they were like, you know, this is your project, take as much time as you need and you can do it. But I will agree with you, The Heart Wants What It Wants was the first time that I did ever say anything. And it was because I was fed up with everything else around me telling me all these things and the press just taking hold of whatever they wanted to. And it was me saying, hey, this is just, I'm just being honest with you for a second. Like, this is really hard and I know I should do X, Y, and Z, but... I can't help it. And that's just the state that I was in, which ultimately then led me to Lose You to Love Me, which is my favorite song I've mm-hmm. ever done. Absolutely. And definitely want to come back to that in a moment. But just to, again, if people are trying to, sometimes it's easier to, to go along with the chronology if we're talking, referencing a, a single or whatever. No. So I just want to say with Revival, this is 2015 and this is good for you. This is Same Old Love, which I... Uh, that I was I couldn't stop playing that one myself. I love that. I'm so sick of that same old love, that shit ain't- 
then again, it's interesting because there's five years between that album and the next one, Rare, but a lot of getting into, I think for the first time, sort of collaborations in the interim with yeah. different singles, right? We Don't Talk Anymore, It Ain't Me, Talky Talky, like all of that is between the two albums. But you've said that maybe the reason there was such a period between the two albums was that that's when a lot of shit was going on in your life in every respect, right? Yeah, no, it was crazy in a in a in a very I think essential. It was necessary for me to walk through those things. Um, I had a lot of soul searching to do, and I mean, I'm not. I have by all means, I don't have life figured out, but I do know that during that time, I was learning so much about myself. I was, you know, obviously going through a really uh, tough breakup. And then, and then I just was left with the question of like, well, my career and where am I going to go and what's going to happen? And, um, it just was all of these different things I was feeling. And then my medical stuff kind of kicked in. So I was dealing with my lupus and, um, I was dealing with some kidney problems. So it was, it was actually, it was really hard, but, you know, being on the other side of it, I have to be honest, it's it's actually it's actually been really good for me. Um, it allowed me to develop such a character where I don't tolerate any sort of nonsense right. or effect in any way. And I think I'm really proud of how I've come out of it. And it's interesting. It must feel good to know that. In each of these, since you began doing solo work, I mean, each one of these are at very different points in your maturation, right? But each one of them, you're, there's there's clearly a, a pretty loyal audience or a growing audience. Different, each one of these is number one at, at, at on, the, on the Billboard 200 when it starts. That's a pretty incredible thing. And it, of course, leads to with, with Rare, what you were just talking about, which I guess puts the the button on some of the more dramatic stuff that that you've just kind of uh, recapped um, with with Lose You to Love Me, which not only number one single, your first number one single on the Billboard Hot 100, but the first song ever to be number one simultaneously on the Billboard Hot 100, Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes and Rolling Stone charts. That's that's an incredible thing. And I guess I just wonder to have that kind of a response to something that is so personal, so good, as you say, like for you, I know you're very proud of it, but I mean, objectively critics, whoever else, for whatever they're worth, there's sort of a consensus that this was the, the best art up to that point. Yeah. And I, and I fully would agree with that statement. I think that, um, and it's wild because we wrote the song in less than an hour. Oh my God. it was an idea that was just me, Julia Michaels, and Justin Tranter. And we were just us three in the studio, and it, it just kind of came out. Like, it was just, it just was automatically happening. And Julia is incredible at melodies, and all she kept hearing was the love, love, yeah, the love, love. And it was just so, like, haunting. Um but I, but I do, I did not expect it to do all of that, that you just said, which is wonderful. I knew that it was going to leave some sort of impression because it was me kind of saying my goodbye. 
And I was really happy about it, but I was also nervous. And it was, it went really well. Obviously, I'm so grateful. But to be honest, I think people who weren't necessarily even fans of me, I think of myself, I think it was more important that the song had a message. And that's what made me most proud is that people were coming up to me at restaurants that were in their 40s and they were saying, I was going through a divorce and this song has like, and it just like my mind was blown away. Like the stories and the vulnerability people were willing to, to give up when they met me or saw me after that period. It was really cool. It was a really cool way to, to kind of move on. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Now, one of the things I was wondering is you've got you've always had these parallel things of of singing and acting. Do they fuel each other? Like when you're singing, are you also in a way acting, for instance? Or it, yeah, I think I'm most passionate about acting, um, which is funny when I say because sometimes people are like, "Well, you've done a lot of music though," and and I think my 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 thing goes back to what I was saying is that. I, I, yes, I'm so grateful. I get offered parts about, you know, the tomboy turned into princess like crazy, you know, <laughs> like I, I'm ready to play that part over and right, over and over right, again. Right. And it's just not necessarily for me, but it is it is my heart and soul is when I am on set with people, I feel so right. And music, when I'm in the studio, I feel the same way. When I expose my music, I tend to get a little reclusive and I get overwhelmed because it's all me. It's all me. It's just my stuff out there. And it, so right now, for example, how I balance it out is I finished season two. I did um, my cooking show. Now I'm going to be in the studio until season three. So basically, we're going to just be working on new music and and I, and like I said, I couldn't do one or the other. Like I actually love. Them. I was going to say, it, might, it must be kind of like a palate cleanser to go from one to the other versus just there are some people who only have one. And I guess that could, I don't know if getting, yeah. getting old would be the right way, word, uh, right, right way of phrasing it, but I could see that you know, burning out a little easier. Yeah, no, my therapist is like, girl, are you ever going to find a man? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> well, uh... <laughs> I suppose I, I, but I do, I do feel like right now in my life, 
I am just so open and I love what I do. And if I want to take a day off or two days or a weekend off, I can, but I just am in a really good space right now and I'm enjoying That's it. That's so great to hear. And and I mean, I guess the, the treat for a portion of your audience, it was really in in uh, Revelacion, if I'm pronouncing it, I hope I yep. didn't butcher it. Uh, but I mean, this was, I guess, your kind of pandemic baby in in a in a way, along with Only Murders. But this was, I think, before Only Murders. And for 10 years, I know there were tweets, there were things saying like, I want to do this. This is a goal. It's sort of like the, the vision board out for the whole world, basically. But then it actually happened, your first Spanish language music. And again, the fact that it went over so well, not, again, not just sales or whatever, but you get a Grammy nomination for the first time for a for this kind of music in your in in Spanish language it must just be kind of, I would think, a confidence booster. Oh, for sure. First off, I was like, thank goodness people understood what I was saying. <laughs> that was really difficult uh, to make sure I was doing that right. But it, it was actually more rewarding to be nominated for that than any of my English speaking albums, because I think I put my heart and soul in that in a different way. It was it was me talking to my dad and talking to my cousin back home and just like just reminiscing and talk because I used to be fluent. And I when I started working, I lost that because it was basically just, you know, English speaking parts and stuff. So I um, so I kind of lost it. But I, it meant more to me because this is something I really was meticulous on. And I know how critical people can be because if you do not pronounce something right, it's just not really respectful. So I'm more proud of that being nominated than anything else because I really worked hard on it and everyone else did and Tiny, the producer and my vocal coach, like my language, it was just such a cool experience. And I don't think you have to even understand Spanish to appreciate the music, which unfortunately I don't sp fluently speak Spanish, but I mean, people get it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about music is I listen to French music, I'll listen to Italian music, or it just makes you feel some type of way. And it, it's really, it's really special. So I guess just, I didn't even, this wasn't one of the questions I planned to ask, but it just occurs to me, would you ever be interested in acting in Spanish. A thousand percent. Yeah, because that would be pretty I would interesting. A thousand percent do that. I would love to. I feel like, I because I, I told you earlier, I'm taking lessons. So in general, I would love to get more, you know, m m I guess more versed, but also just get back to my roots because that's where I was, you know, I was, I was there and that is me and it's in there. I just got to get it out. And so, yes, a thousand percent. Let me know if you find a good I one. Will, I will for sure. And, and, but I also just want people to know because you referenced the, the immigration, uh, program that you've, you've been involved with as well. And that, and when you talk about getting back to your roots, this is not like 
discussing a topic because it's like the hot button topic of the day. This is, again, very personal. You've spoken about how, I guess it's your paternal grandparents first came to this country, right? I mean... Yes. So dad's parents, um, were, I think it was in 1972 or something, um, or three, they came over um, in the back of a truck and it was my grandmother and it was my uh, aunt. Sorry, I should say my great aunt. And they came over and it took them 18 years to get citizenship. But they, you know, obviously they did it the right way. It just took so much time. And I couldn't imagine what it was like during the thick of it, because if it was difficult for them when they were just doing all the right things to, to stay and obviously, thank God, they got their citizenship and they're okay. But um, it is very important to me. Um, that is also a huge part of why I did that project because I just know my story and that's just a few people away from me. You know, it's not like it was decades. Right. It was not ancient history. Far- yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so to set the scene for this, uh, exciting project that we're primarily here to talk about only murders, I just want to, I think like people may find it interesting i know i did when i was reading to prepare what your experience was going after parts acting parts prior to this because you know you have said that it was in some ways you know really uh kind of emotionally a a beat down that you go in you know what you want to do you know what you, you feel capable of doing you've been acting for 20 years but because I guess in a way you were so established in one in people's minds for as a certain type of performer or child performer, or maybe they only know about you from what they saw in line at the supermarket or whatever bullshit goes into these things. Yeah. It was, it, I guess it was frustrating, right? You weren't getting a fair hearing in your, in your view. I, yes, I felt like it was very difficult for people to take me seriously. And, um, and and look, I'm not going to be one to just be like, poor me or woe is me, because I have slowly pushed through that. And I'm really glad. But it was very frustrating. I mean, I, I felt like a joke, you know, like there were moments where I felt like I was I was just like, I don't I don't have what it takes to do this. Like, never mind, like or whatever. I would just I would get so frustrated with myself Um but I got to be honest, after I did Only Murders, I'm not getting a lot of like demanding phone calls. So oh, really? I'm uh, yeah, but I'm but again, I am so grateful because everything that I've done, I've earned and I've worked really hard for. And I would never replace that for the world. If everything was handed to me, I guarantee you I would be a totally different person. And I've seen that happen in, in people. And that's so disheartening and so if anything it's like okay I'm getting there I'm getting there so I have a really healthy relationship with my outlook on that which I'm really happy because you have no idea Steve got really mad but like you have no idea when people are like yeah when you were on the show I was like whoa that's gonna be weird I don't know about that and Steve like will get super defensive of me and it's really sweet but yeah I I get frustrated when when people say that and and if anything it's just another challenge that eventually I'll get to beat well so for only murders let's talk about how this 
this did come together. Um, and first, in case there's anybody who is still needing to catch up on the show, give them a little tease that you're playing Mabel, this young woman who lives in an old building in New York where she bonds with these two older guys who are who are living alone uh, and they end up trying to get to the bottom of a murder in their building, which is this was season one went on in August of 2021. And I guess the way the thing that I found kind of uh, amazing was that they originally were thinking about this as, all right, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and a third male. So how did that, in your, yep. as your understanding, how did that change? So my understanding is that Steve said he wouldn't be in it unless Marty was in it. Mm -hmm. So we got Marty. Um, <laughs> and that was the beginning when, before I was involved. Then Steve met with John Hoffman and they spoke and it was actually some of the producers collective idea of having a female but not only a female someone completely generations off and steve said he loved the idea and thought it was really fun and then the next part was them hoping i wasn't gonna be like annoying <laughs> <laughs> um I and that's honestly the truth. They didn't know. They they tell people all the time. They're like, well, I guess we didn't really know what to expect. You know, someone coming in, it's younger. And but I was I couldn't have been luckier because they called me and I talked to everyone for a while and I just told them all my fascination behind like true crime and um, and and it just and it happened and I. I can't picture the show with three men. No, no. I, I saw that John had said that some somebody, I guess, made the point like, quote, don't we want an alien in their world, meaning Mar Marty and, and Steve's and just somebody that I guess they can they're they're not going to easily relate to. And, and that person is not going to easily relate to. But for that reason, I have to ask not to get too meta here, but like for you showing up um, and being a part of this. How familiar were you with Steve and Marty and vice versa when you guys first kind of had this, uh, you know, match uh, made? So I think that I think Steve and Marty knew of me. I don't know if they necessarily knew any of my work. And then this not necessarily the same because I watched all the classics with my mom growing up. But it had been a while and I had not seen nearly enough because they both have done a lot. But Jiminy Click was one of my favorite characters. So I knew Marty from that. And then obviously Steve from multiple different things I watched growing up. And um, and it's and so I knew. And then once I started working with them, then I started watching like the planes, trains and automobiles and like started watching all the other little ones and. I'd come on set the next day and I'd be like asking him questions about the movie and he would just get a kick out of it because it, it's so fun to see what they've done. They're just they are the original gangsters. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, I believe that, you know, you're saying that you were gleaning some some wisdom from them while you guys are working. I believe it was uh, it went both directions. Speaking of original gangster and also um Maybe uh, some other music. There was that. <laughs> yes. So I played them because they genuinely were interested in what's the fascination with today's music. And I said, well, let me just play you this one song by Cardi B 
and Meg the Stallion. <laughs> and it was a very inappropriate song. And I'm sure people know the song. Yes. But it was hysterical. <laughs> they were so confused. They weren't offended. They were just confused. They were like, so wait, do you do 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 women like this? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I guess it's a thing, you know, it's a it's a vibe. I don't know. And so they're they're hilarious because he'll be singing Joni Mitchell and then I'll just throw in some like rap music every now and then just to spice things up. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, and the, just certain lingo or, or just like questions like, you know, why is it that, you know, like, why is it that, you know, you can't go out and do so-and-so and like have a good time or something and I'll have to explain my life to them and stuff. <laughs> so it's really, it's really sweet. And then sometimes they tell me stories or Steve will start talking about art and I'm just like glazed over. Right. I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think also people should keep in mind that the time in which you guys all came together is pretty like, you know, unique in the in that I believe it's like part of the pandemic in New York, which is sort of not New York at that time. Um, no. And and, you know, here's two guys in their 70s and a young woman who's been through some health stuff that you've referred to, you know, referenced in this. And you guys are shooting with a global pandemic around you, but like, not like it is now where I guess we, you know, you get your vaccine, you get your boost and you cross your fingers, but this was more of an uncertain time, right? For season one. Yeah. I'd actually have no idea how we pulled it off other than the fact that Disney and Hulu were unbelievable with the system. Um, the, the good and bad news about COVID is that no one was seeing each other. So we actually only spent time together. Thank God I find them very fascinating because <laughs> I don't know what I would do. Uh, but I love them. And so I have a great time. So we actually just spent most of our time together and we would go back to our homes, but no restaurants were even open, nothing. So we we kept it pretty, we, we kept it pretty clean. I think there was only one and it was in production. I don't think it was even on set. So we did a really good job. And that's credit to the people who helped. But boy, was it annoying. Oh, my gosh. I heard you were saying, it like, even so like you have a uh, a kissing scene in the show that was complicated by COVID, right? Yes. Yeah, so during the kissing scene, oh, my goodness. Every single take, we would have to gargle with mouthwash. <laughs> and it would be the most intense one. And so imagine I'm doing let's just say seven to mm -hmm. eight takes and I have to sit there and they make you hold it in your mouth to swish it around really good. Then you can spit it out. My, my entire mouth was like in, so gross and like <laughs> torn up. It was, it was not sexy. I didn't want to kiss anyone ever again after that. <laughs> well, um, now Mabel there's, I'm reading the way people have described her. And one of the descriptions was quote, a character who conceals her vulnerability, close quote. And I wonder if maybe, not that you have to relate to every character you play, but I wonder if it it might help to have a, a connection point. And because here's a, then here's here's a way that somebody described you in a separate, totally unrelated article, quote, 
What's most unusual about her, what distinguishes her from other celebrities in her echelon, is the way she's grown softer rather than harder as she's gotten older. The confidence came first, then came the confidence to let it drop. Close quote. So I don't know. Maybe I'm overanalyzing this crap, but no, no, not at all. You're not overanalyzing because that's how I got the part was simply based on like my interests and my hobbies. And um, and I think there was this element of loneliness that each character feels, which is why we connected with each other. I felt like being around two adult gentlemen because that's what they are they are very sweet and kind and hilarious and inappropriate sometimes <laughs> and it's the best um and it's like just their humor i just learned so much and my my expectation for a man to be honest or any human is to be as decent as these two human beings are because i am they have been doing this longer than I've been alive and they are the kindest people. So I would say I relate to Mabel in the sense that I can be a little lonely sometimes. And I tend to, you know, have friends that are a bit older and I, you know, love hanging out with like my mom. So I'm very much that kind of person. Um, and, and so I feel, I feel Mabel, but you know, that statement, whoever said that is weirdly accurate because I find that my heart has just been, you know, everything that happens in our world. It's like, why, why uh, there's so much that goes beyond just me doing my job and having a platform and needing to understand how to use that platform. It's just, I don't take any of my position lightly. I really don't. And I'm grateful, but it's, yeah, it can be, can be a lot sometimes. Yeah. Just want to note, you guys did some really ballsy stuff in season one, especially episode seven, I think, which is essentially dialogue free stuff like that. Is that exciting, intimidating, you know, for you? So exciting. And, you know, we I got to be honest, for season two, we were doing a little bit more fun stuff that um, I'm excited for people to watch because that episode was so well done. And I and I didn't know what to expect because I remember shooting it like being like so confused, like, wait, what am I what am I feeling right now? And it's it's so interesting, but it was really cool. And Joey, the the actor from his perspective, Theo is his character's name, was so beautiful um, and also sad. It was just really crazy. We got to step into his mind and it was just really well done. I was so happy when I saw it. I was like, wow, mm, that was good. Totally. That could have been bad. <laughs> well, um, and then I was curious also, did you guys know at the beginning where this was going to end in terms of who did what or whatever. Like sometimes these things are usually are not shot in sequence, but I was curious if you knew what yeah, you're Yeah, well, we shoot in sequence and boy, let me tell you, they did not <laughs> tell us till like episode eight. Oh my God. What was happening. Uh, so you don't even, you don't even know if you did it. Oh yeah, for sure. I didn't know. I mean, I would ask and they would be like, no, it's not going to be you. But then I still didn't know. <laughs> right. I didn't know what it was going to be. Um, but it was so great. And everyone on the crew was like, so we were all guessing and everyone was just having a good time. <laughs> well, last, uh, minute or two, if, if we can, just some, some big picture stuff. What have you made of the, 
reaction not only to the show but to your performance which has been really really i don't know how much you read or follow this stuff but it's been pretty great to the extent that you know people are running numbers and stuff like now to see there's only been two latina actresses who have ever been nominated in the for an emmy in the category of comedy actress many people are you know to, to even just then be in that conversation which you certainly are i just i guess i wonder what that what that means to you well, to be honest, it made me want to cry when you said that. Um, that's really, really sweet. I don't I don't like reading anything. All I do know is that people really did enjoy the show, and that's all I really wanted. But to get the 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 appreciation and the respect and the love from all different types of people now is is so nice. It just feels so good, especially with it having to do with something I love and I care about. And that's good. It's not me being happy. I'm famous. It's me being happy that I did a good job. Right. Right. Um, number two of, of these last three, uh, if my math is correct, you have a pretty big birthday coming up next month. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, so I have to ask, how do you feel about, uh, the birthday? And also, you know, a lot of people kind of on a, on a milestone like that, look back at, things and just kind of uh, sort of like what we've done, I think, during this during this hour. And I guess I wonder, though, for you, you know, as you hit that milestone, what do you make of it all? Can you kind of step outside of yourself and objectively just look at what a crazy ride it's been? I can definitely take a step back and be very proud of the work I've done. However, I am happy getting older. I find that my toleration for any sort of discomfort, um, usually disrespect or whatever, even just unnecessary stuff, just I feel so glad that it's that that it's not what is it? It's not like taking over me anymore. Like my emotions are mine and I am allowed to feel them however I want to feel them. But I am having a party because I was like, you know what? All my friends back home are married with kids. So I'm just going to throw my own good, party and pretend. Good, good, good. You should. Um, and I guess you mentioned your friends back home. I don't know if you're referring to, to Texas or, or where, but it does beg the last question I wanted to ask you, which is, if you had never left Texas, what do you think your life would look like today? I would have four kids for sure. Uh, maybe not planned, maybe planned. <laughs> maybe both. Right. Um, and there's nothing wrong with, I think, the life I would have led. I just think that's kind of would have been my purpose. And that's really beautiful because my cousin has two gorgeous kids and she's like a therapist and helps children. Like she's wonderful and she's so happy. Um, I just know that that's not my path and I'm really grateful. I had my mom to really give me that opportunity to be, be what I want to be. Well, also very glad that that happened because we get to see yeah. and hear all that you do. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to do this and uh, really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. 
We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. Until next time, thanks for joining us. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.